Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. So how do you take an idea and put it into practice? Today, I'm talking with Elena Dacus, a sales and business strategist who has bought and sold 50 companies up to a value of 10 billion and is also founder of the Bossy Heels Club, a community for female coaches. Some of the things we're going to be covering today are how you're getting your idea from the starting point, uh, researching your ideal client, when you're looking for investment, how you go about that. And then when you're also way past that stage and you want your business to run almost without you and what you need to do. So hi, Elena. Thanks for joining me today. Hello. Hi, Nicole. Pleasure to be here. So you have a huge amount of experience in buying and selling businesses. Can you explain a bit more about your background and what it is that you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, my background is um, I've run many businesses and uh, for the last 20 years, I've been buying and selling companies. So I've done, as you said, up to 50, so 50 companies, up to 10 billion US dollars. Um, but you know, the interesting thing about mergers and acquisition market is, and what I love about it so much, is that you know, when you look for a target or you look to acquire a company, when you're in that process, you actually look for one target. You could be reviewing the whole sector, the whole niche, uh, probably up to 200 uh, companies per uh, single deal. So it's exciting when you open the leads to those companies to really see what happens underneath it. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I have discovered, what I think is super fascinating, is that one company on the face of it looks so amazing. It might be listed in all the supermarkets or it might be, you know, as an influencer, fame behind it, but actually when you open the books, when you open the leads to its structure, to its model, the founder is hardly making any money, taking mm. any cash home. And the worst of all is really trapped in their business. They can't sell it. Uh, they can't step away from it because, the, you know, it's there, the blood, they're the, um, the lifeblood of the business. So one thing I've been really passionate is actually coaching founders and CEOs and how can you set up a business in the way that thrives without it? Um, so yeah, that's my background. So Great. super excited for today. And so if we start off with, you know, we were talking before about it's quite easy to start a business now. And mm. a lot of people have ideas. And so if you have an idea for a business, how what are the best ways for you to start uh, understanding if that's going to work and for you to make it a reality? Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, the beautiful thing of environment right now, I call it kind of a, a wave of entrepreneurship that really is anything's possible unless you are attacking a dying market. And there are some dying markets like newspaper, you know, printed mm. newspaper is a good example. So unless you are, want to go into dying market, you can make this work. So let's just preface anything we're going to talk about it as we're going to talk about challenges and issues because clearly any business journey especially successful business journey is going to have lots of barriers, lots of issues. But fundamentally, I think our listeners need to understand that unless you're in a dying market, you can make it successful. 
you yeah. can make it as successful. You can make any idea successful. That is the point. Mm -hmm. So if you have an idea and what happens with the founders, I find they have this one day they wake up and they've got this burning desire inside something out of somewhere starting inside of them, starting like, I need to do this thing. You keep thinking about it. You keep dreaming about it. Like you cannot continue your life without pursuing this further. And I think if you find yourself in that situation, that's a good tell sign. That yeah. means that you have to pursue it because the worst thing, and I tell all my clients, the worst thing that can happen is not that it's not going to be successful. It's not that the fact you're going to fail because, you know, undoubtedly everyone does. The worst thing that can happen is you get to eight years old yeah, and you start wondering what if. Or yeah. what if I went on my gut instinct? What if I mm -hmm. pursued that? What would have happened? And that's the worst thing that can happen. So regret. Regret. Mm -hmm. I, I'm afraid of regret. I think it's my biggest fear in life. And um, that's one thing I want to help other people, especially women, because of course, women is who I work most with, is really to avoid so you have an idea, you have a burning desire. What do you do next? Indeed, I guess any all the other steps really is no one knows if it's going to work. Yeah. Truly. The only people that's going to tell you if it's going to work are your customers, but not just your friends or family who like you, who love you. And they say, yeah, sure, it's great. Or most cases, they're going to say you're crazy because that's what really <laughs> happens. <laughs> yeah. Let's face it. Every mm -hmm. single entrepreneur, you know, the family doesn't really get it, doesn't support them. So you need to yeah, have They're a just really like, what are you doing? And are you going to leave your job to do that? Or are you going to do it inside? Or how are you going to manage the family? Yeah. Yeah. No one ever says, yeah, you've got this. You can do this. You're going to be the next billionaire. I'm with that. No one ever does that. People say, yes, you're crazy. You should keep your job. You should not do this. You don't know anything about it. <laughs> this is what you get. So if you're finding yourself in, your, in those shoes and you're getting that feedback from your environment, well, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the only people that can really tell you if it's a good idea, it's your customers. And it's not just they're going to say, you know, those fans on your Instagram or follow say, yeah, it's brilliant. It's the customer's going to pay with their pocket. Yeah. This is how you know. So I guess the key thing right away is get to that stage of actually people buying your product as quickly as you can, as quickly as you can. Because what happens with most founders they get the idea, they get excited about the idea, especially let's say they're developing a product. They think it's genius. They start calling the manufacturers in China. They start developing prototypes. They start thinking about the design. They spend weeks on the design of a logo and the packaging. And at this stage, they haven't even tested whether this works. They haven't sold a single thing. So most people, I guess the key mistake people do is they spend so much time in the fantasy land in the of development designing stage. it in yeah. a development stage. And then what happens is by the time they've designed, they've done all the work, they've done all the packaging, they come to the customer and the customer says, you know what? I don't like the color on it. <laughs> <laughs> and you've printed all your labels. Yeah. So I think this is the point is that do something that's just good enough just to test and validate your idea. If people are buying, people are giving you really good feedback, that's a proof. But I mean, before that, you like the idea, you have an idea. The key thing is who it's for, right? It's your ideal client. And we talk a lot about it. And it's really relevant, certainly for online businesses and this kind of MySpace. I coach a lot of digital marketing people ideal client, but also for retail product, for any product-based business, good brands, they don't try to cater for everyone. 
They yeah. very much specifically solving one problem. So it's always solving a problem for a particular person, for a particular client. And this is probably for a new startup is the biggest issue. Uh, I think this is emotionally, people have a real big problem identifying that because they think, well, I can create product for everyone. I don't want to exclude people yeah. from buying my product. And they're not really clear sometimes who is that end customer. Yes, very unclear. And it's very visible. Um, and it, it is important because you don't, you know, your packaging, your messaging, or the way you call your product, or what tagline you have on your website, the color you use, all comes from the point of who you want to attract. You know, are you a brand that's really catering for a, a brand new moms, for children? You know, who is your ideal target client? And I think being very clear about that is important because then you can make sure the whole brand, the whole product is really catered for that. And it doesn't mean that man will not buy it. You know, always... Yeah. But he might be 10%, he might be 5% of your customer rather than 95% of your customer. Correct. I always love this. My, my favorite example is this entrepreneur who invents this poison against all insects. So he's super excited. He finally figured out this chemical formula that's going to kill all any insects in your house. And he's excited. He develops it, brings up the formula, creates the label, the packaging, put it on the shelf. And then what? No one buys it. So he's just questioning why, what's happening. So he goes to the supermarket, observe the, observes the customer journey, what's happening. So there's a guy comes into the store. He's in a rush. His kids are waiting for him in the car. He comes to the shelves. He looks all the shelves of all the poison for insects. And then he picks up his brand, put it back, and then takes something from an <laughs> obscure location on the bottom shelf. And then this entrepreneur stops him and says, so, hold on a second. Why didn't you purchase or pick up the My Brand here? It's amazing. It's this formula that's going to kill all your insects. And what does the customer say? He goes, yeah, but I don't have an all insects problem. I have an ant problem. I just need a solution for my ant problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the point. You know, the customer is in the rush. The customer is yeah. busy, distracted. They just have one problem. They're trying to pick up snacks for their kids or whatever your product is trying to solve. And they're going to be probably going to spend a millisecond looking at your brand and looking at your product and then picking it up, either ordering it online uh, through some of the information you saw or picking it up from the shelf of the supermarket or depending on what your channel is. So I think that's the point. If you're clear about what and solution you have. Yeah you got someone and what it what it solves what it does the problem yeah kind of thing. what's the point of buying it? i think that's the thing people never buy actual product like you know drill is a great example no one wants a drill right people want a hole in the world to put their shelf in yeah. or even better men want to look good in front of their wife that they just you know they're so macho and they can put up the shelf with ease <laughs> this is what customer is actually purchasing so when you get that it helps you communicate the message in the right way you know you're gonna stop selling the drill because you're not ever selling a drill or the features or how it's made or what it can do for you that it's manufactured in this location you're gonna start selling the shelf and the wall the problem yeah the solution and the problem that you need to fix or whatever it might be and yeah. so in terms of what are the ways that you think people can really understand who their customer is and find out what their niche is? 
Yeah, well, this is it. Um, there's few ways and so many. I mean, it just depends on, of course, the idea. For most people, what happens is, for most people, it's the ideal client, either a few years ago, 10 years ago, before they met the problem and resolved it, or right now, they are missing something in the market. They're finding a gap for themselves. And they, sell, well, they think, well, if I'm prepared, I need this solution. Mm-hmm. There must be someone else who is looking for the same thing. So that's always a good place to be because you effectively you are your ideal client. That means that you really understand the need and the problem. And then it's just validating that and thinking, am I the only one or is there actually other people facing the same issue? Um, but there's many ways to research your ideal client. Um, on my Instagram account at Bossy Hills Club, we certainly share a lot of information, a lot of valuable information how to do that. Um, yeah, and it's really thinking about the... It, I, you know, depending on which, you know, if you're product-based business, it's thinking about the customer basket, right? What else are they purchasing? What else yeah. are they buying? If they're in supermarket, what else are they putting in that basket? If it's an online space, what else are they buying? Because the key thing with a business, right? Who is more likely to buy a keto diet product? Yeah. And I think as well, I was recently at... Um, a trade fair and there are a lot of talks on there in terms of uh, customer as well but talking about the the kind of groups that you can if you know who your customer is and then you go to where they are so you join those facebook groups and yeah. you use and I don't, you know, you stalk them, you stalk, not your customer, but you stalk the, those Facebook groups, those comments, you see what people are talking about, you see what problems they have, they might be recommending some brands, they might be talking about certain situations, and you get to understand their story. And also, like you said, in terms of what else are they buying? So what else? Um, so then you can understand, right, okay, so if they are, um, one of the examples they were talking about was like Pinterest and wedding. And there was a, there was a, um, a wedding brand and they were saying, right, okay, they're not just a, they don't just sell dresses. So they had lots of boards on their Pinterest that were, what's the perfect dress size for your shape? Or they were talking about stationery. They were talking about, yeah, you know, there was a lot more things around that, that brought those people to that Pinterest, uh, to their Pinterest page that then brought them to their to be able to shop because you could shop from their Pinterest page. So it's understanding, Mm. like you've said, that whole journey that they are going through. So if it's a new mom, what else are they looking at, you know, Um, and, and identifying with them and bringing them, you know, so that you're bringing them into your world as well as being in their world. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because if someone's already, you know, if someone's who's more likely to buy your product, someone who's already buying this type of product, you know, if they're having a wedding, they will be buying all sorts of wedding related stuff already. Mm -hmm. So that's a great sign that this is the market. This is a customer for you. But yeah, as you rightly said, where do they congregate is, you know, part of our model that we teach is where do they congregate? Uh, is a Facebook group that you can reach them, um, you know, where they're hanging out, what products are they buying on Amazon. Amazon is an amazing place to research your customers, the customer reviews, and what mm. are they saying. Uh, it's amazing. So looking at, you know, and actually lots of people started their business just by looking at Amazon reviews. It's that powerful because what mm. happens is, it's super solid strategy. You look at someone who is purchasing a similar type of product, but they're saying it's great, but it doesn't do X and Y. Yeah. Here yeah. you go. This There's is your, your niche. This is your gap. Mm-hmm. Now go and solve that. Create the same product. It doesn't have to be massively different. It just needs to be a little bit better. Yeah. It just, and it just needs to do what that product doesn't do. So I think it's important that people are spending the time um, 
and not too much time because like you've said you can spend too much time in a development and discovery phase and not actually you know by the time you've actually created the product the moment may have gone depending yes. on what your product is you Correct. know um so i also think um forums as well so we're talking about facebook groups amazon and then there's a lot of forums that you can go into and i think you know it's making sure that you're obviously looking at an active one that is regular that people are regularly posting on and looking for those ones and those people that are posting quite a bit and you yes. know start building up those dialogues and you can then maybe take it offline and ask them to test your product or or ask them to get involved in a specific survey about your product then as well Perfect. I mean, that would be the most ideal thing. Find 10 potential customers or your ideal clients, go to them and say, right, here you go. This is my proxy page and sell them. Like, this is what the product does. You can buy it right now for $97. What I wouldn't ask in that is, hey, would you buy this? You yeah. know, because then say, yeah, yeah, great idea. Do it, do it, do it. And then they never, you know, they need to vote with their pocket. Yeah. If they have purchased this from you and put some, you know, put a good solid price on it, that is a good sign that someone is prepared to buy this, even yeah. when it's not perfect, even when you haven't done your sales page in the most amazing way, someone's going to buy this. So that's a really good, a good sign. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they've done their, um, done their bit of research on their customer and then next steps after that, then in terms of bringing it to, to reality and bring it, putting it into practice. Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, I guess um, for product-based businesses, it, depending on your supply chain, but yeah, you need to be looking for someone to make it for you. Uh, I guess for most of the listening, you're not going to have manufacturing capacity, but I guess you don't need to. That's the beautiful thing about this business. There's so many contract manufacturers who can mm. do this type of stuff for you. So I've worked with many food brands, for example, in the UK and Europe. Uh, you know, we consult many of those companies. So if you have a food-related product, there'll be a, a number of factories in the UK or in Europe who can make this for you based on your recipe, uh, based on your requirements. The same thing if you have a product that is China, contract mm-hmm. manufacturer who does it for you. So yeah, next step is, can you actually make this? Can you deliver this to the end consumer? Where are you going to sell it is another example, is how are you going to, you know, what's going to be your channel? Um but the fundamentally, yes, can you make it? One of the issues, of course, with contract manufacturers that people are finding is the minimal order requirements. Um, big stumbling bullock, of course. But this is where you need to be a little bit smart. Um, obviously, if you have a big order, you have a lot of uh, orders coming through, you have a different kind of problems, you might change a contract manufacturer and you might find someone bigger. So I always recommend start with someone smaller who can make this for you, who you can have a little bit more of a dialogue and a little bit more yeah. verification, you know, kind of iterations. And then you can always scale. Um, so yeah, finding someone who can make it for you. And then you're not investing too much money upfront as well because you're buying with smaller quantities. So your cash flow is it's you know it's it's better for your cash flow. Um, you might make yeah. less profit, but that's just a start. It's just to get you started, and then and then you can always tweak as you go. If you find something right, okay, that doesn't quite work, or that would be better if you did X Y Z. You've not got that much money invested in product. You know, on your next order, you can change it. So it's like doing that test and repeat model, which is so common, uh, particularly in the clothing industry now, uh, with people being able to order small items and then right if it works, repeat it. If it works, you know, if it works, repeat yeah. it again repeat it again and you talked about uh kind of skipped on a little bit but in terms of at the beginning when you were talking about businesses that are um you know they're turning over a lot but then when you get under the hood of the business they're not set up right and the owner is not making the money that they need to make and so for bigger businesses that are finding themselves in that situation that are just like right okay 
you know, I'm turning all this, I'm turning all this over, but I'm not doing, you know, it's not, it's not working and not making the money. How do you approach that? Yeah, well, let's maybe step back. So just take through this model, the business model that we've really mapped out. So let's Mm -hmm. say we're talking about product-based business. They have an idea. Uh, They've tested it with ideal. They know who it's for. They know the solution it solves. They're confident. They've tested it with 10, 15 people who said, yeah, I'm going to pay for it. And they probably even bought it. I want to see that they have actually spent the money. money. Show me the money. So now you've went to, you found a contract manufacturer, super easy to find. You've spoken to them. You've pitched them. I guess there's going to be a process to actually pitch them and, you know, showing your credibility. So be prepared for that conversation is what I would say. Once, let's say you found the contract manufacturer, they've given you the go ahead. You even found someone a bit smaller who's going to work with smaller volumes for you to start. So you are ready to go. Then it's really thinking about, right, where am I going to sell this? Is it if it's clothing, if it's product, you know, is it going to be Amazon? Is it going to be big retailers? Uh, you need to be, be, be pitching that to the buyers. So at that stage, you know, in the still in the prototype stage, I will be already contacting all the key buyers and really with everything you have, the pricing, the uh, labels, the branding, everything, and pitching them and seeing what feedback they get because ultimately they're the big gatekeepers for your potential growth. Uh, and they might say, yeah, that's brilliant, but you know what? We have no growth in the sector. We are not listing any products. So you're going to get a lot of feedback, a lot of information yeah. from that route. Um, so that's the big barrier to success for a lot of companies, right? They have the product, they've got design, but no one wants to stock it. And I think as well, what's a really good point is because sometimes with smaller businesses or as they're starting, they're just thinking of, oh, how great it looks on a shelf or how, how great it looks on a website. They're not thinking about the journey that it has to take to get there or um, or some the logistics side of it, the supply chain. Um, I was recently talking to someone and they were like, okay, so we had this product. It looked amazing. It was selling okay, and but it was made out of glass. So, um, you know, it was a cosmetic product, um, but it was made out of glass. And they wanted volume and, you know, in the environment that it was going to be, that wasn't the best. It wasn't the best type of packaging. So then they changed their packaging to like aluminium types of tins and still looks amazing and, and like um, recycled plastic. Okay. And, they, and they got orders from Nordstrom and other, retail, other big retailers based on, on having a packaging. Obviously, the, there would have been other things involved in that, but the packaging would have been a real barrier to their growth. So yes. they changed that. And they didn't realize that until it was a buyer from Harvey Nichols said, everything's lovely, but, we, but it's glass. You That's know. right. This is why I say this is you absolutely right. The feedback you're going to get from buyers are going to be critical because if you think from buyers, this is their day job. This is what mm-hmm. they've been doing for years. They They're know what sleep. Work- <laughs> yeah, they they know what works, what doesn't. They're going to look at your packaging and they know if it's going to sell. So, and you as someone c- coming in new, you don't know that yet. So that's why you actually want to get and have start having those conversations with buyers as quickly as you can. Because yeah. um, even it- if it's a no, you'll still learn, you know, and don't yeah. be afraid to have those, you know, it's for people listening, don't be afraid to have those conversations and have those meetings. Because even if you see you might not be really ready, but your pricing is ready, you know, and you know that you'd make a profit on it if they do turn around and say yes. But um, even if you think, oh, you know, I don't, I think we're probably a bit too small for them or they may not go for it. The feedback that you will get, and I speak from just experience of, you know, being a buyer in places like Debenhams, Primark, Marks and Spencers, and the feedback that we've been able to, that I've been able to give to, to businesses, they've been able to then implement it, which as, as someone who's, you know, they're not a buyer as such, you know, they're, they're not a buyer. They don't know what 
that real end customer may need or what that retailer wants. Whereas if you can get in front of them, and like you said, you can you can nip those problems in the yeah. bud very early on to then help expand and grow your business. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, as you know, you know the reality is someone's listening. You're gonna get a lot of no's. Like yeah. if you think you're gonna go into first buyer and they're gonna say yes, please give us, you know, you know, ten thousand units a week. <laughs> You're just brand new. You've never done this before. Brilliant. You don't know how supply chain works. Yes, of course, we're going to list you. And we're not going to negotiate on price. We're going to give you all the margin. <laughs> this is just not the reality. So be prepared for a lot of no's. Like you need to be ready for, you know, you're going to get no a lot. But the only re- the reality is you only need probably one yes. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you don't need, you know, you shouldn't take on too much at the beginning anyway, because oh. you might not be able to fulfill it. Then you overpromise, underdeliver, and then you've got a whole other issue that the trust is gone. Yeah, you know, that's so. the thing. Exactly. So when you ask a question, what goes wrong? You know, what does not work? Well, with the retail model, let's say if you focus all your attention on the retail sector, it's good. Let's say you get a big order from Debenas, from John Lewis. Fantastic. You're super happy. You're like, wow, I've made it. And then what next? Well, what next? You now need to fulfill the requirements. You now need to deliver this. You need to make sure your logistics works. Of course, there's, you're not going to do this yourself. There's companies who will do it for you, but you're going to need to understand and manage it. And you know, good retailers will help you with that. With a lot of companies, they actually want to support up-and-coming brand, brands, and they might have a system in place to help you do that. So a lot of food companies like Sainsbury's, for example, they really help new, new brands because they understand you don't know the logistics. So don't worry about too much, but just be prepared for it. You need to understand it. And then you really need to make sure fulfilling your requirements on KPIs. They're going to give you a list of KPIs. And obviously, if you fail them a few times, you're going to be delisted. Yeah. So I suppose one of the one of the key things as well is delivering on time and delivering when your schedule is, because that's, if you think of big retailers, they've got products coming in there on a you know regular basis and it's scheduled. And if you miss your slot, you miss your day, you miss your time, you know, then you might have to wait another two days to get booked in, you know, so you have to be really careful that you're, like I said, in terms of not over-promising and doing what you say you can, but also asking for help or asking for a further explanation. If you don't understand something, don't sit there and be like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, understand, no. understand. If inside you're going, oh my God, how I have no I idea how this works. This, you know? yeah, yeah. Because I think for people that are listening, if you're working with a lot of big retailers, you know, if you're, if you've missed your delivery by, so say they wanted to order um, 3,000 units. No, let's say they want to order 10,000 units and they expect to sell 2,000 a week and they want that product in stock for uh, five weeks. But then you're two weeks late. So the window for them to sell it has reduced. So they will cancel 4,000 units of the 10,000 because they're like, okay, well, we, you know, we only want this in stock for for five weeks. So, and now you're two weeks late. So we, we can't take that full amount of stock because we're going to be left with it and we're going to have to reduce it. Yes. So, you know, yes, it's a, it's a conversation and it's a negotiation, but it's just for people being mindful of that, that that's what happens. You know, they're protecting a bottom line as much as you are trying to um, grow your bottom line that they, you know, so it's just being mindful that that kind of thing happens. It's just been mindful of that. And also, yes, certainly you don't want to grow too quickly. So uh, working capital is an issue. 
for most retail companies because you are more likely to be needed to pay your uh, manufacturer first before you get paid from a retailer. So this window yeah. or gap between when you have to pay the money out of the door before you get paid is really important to anticipate and manage and think in advance how you're going to finance that. Um that is something that you just have to be very intentional in advance. Um, and I think for people that are selling to um, retailers from a payment point of view, if you're selling to a small retailer, yes, you can ask for, you know, you're selling to a small boutique, you can ask for a payment um, upfront, you know, when the order is made. If you're, you know, you are selling to people like M&S, um, not sure about like Liberties, John Lewis, that type of thing, but generally it would be 30 days plus M&S, probably like 60 days. Yeah. Um, 90, 90, 90 days, days 90 yeah. days, you know, and also some of them will have particular discount terms. So understanding what those, what their payment terms are before you start your negotiations, because you might want to, they might say, right, okay, well, we ask for 5% discount on the cost price. So before they've seen your cost prices, you want to know what the payment terms are so that you exactly. can add in that discount essentially. So if, if they're, you know, if your cost is 10 pounds, and they say, well, we asked for a 5% discount. You just add that 5% onto the £10 and then say, well, my cost price is, is £10 plus 5%, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. You know? So it's just be, those payment terms, understanding what they are before they start. Yeah, critical, critical. Uh, payment terms is really important. Um, but yeah, ultimately, you're going to have two problems. It's working capital. And let's say you funded that and you have a way of managing that. And the second thing is, yes, you're constantly, if you put all your eggs in one basket and you're super happy you now with a big retailer, you know, that you can be delisted at any point in time. The new brand, shiny new brand comes in that just have a lot better ethics, have a better recyclable packaging, meets other objectives for the category growth, and you're going to be delisted. And I've worked with many brands who find themselves in a situation and they're like, well, what do I do now? So I guess that's the key thing. So for people listening, I want you to just maybe take a few strategies right now to think about how can I diversify? How can I create a brand that's really is a long-term powerhouse brand that I don't just depend on one supermarket that's just happened to list me? And this is what kind of my passion is and helping people do is and this is one strategy that's really poorly utilized. And the companies that really get this, that really implement this, are really incredibly successful and they're worth a lot of money. And the way to think about this, I always like this cafe example, you know, this fermented milk on the shelf of supermarkets, super brand, you know, trendy, everyone's loved mm -hmm. their cafe. Um, yeah. But of course, what happens with a product like that? You become commodity very quickly because other companies say, oh, this is trendy. I'm going to create the same brand. And you end up with, I don't know, seven cafes on the shelves of the supermarket. Yes, they have slightly different branding, oh, the price somewhat around the same edge. So the customer comes in and they always maybe pick one one day, pick another one that day. But this is really what happens is you're a commodity. There's other people competing with you and you're no different to anyone else. And the a retailer can delist you any moment. Mm -hmm. So the way to think about what if one of those cafe brands said, actually, I'm really not just selling uh, fermented milk. I'm solving a problem. So what problem am I solving? I am the person that's buying cafe. They're really interested in their gut health. They're probably very health conscious. They're probably at the stage, and my ideal client is someone who's really advanced in their understanding of microbiome. They're buying other things to help their gut. They're really health conscious, and they're really learning, studying this stuff all the time, and they love it. That's why they're buying this. They're not buying milk. They're buying fermented milk. They get it. 
So what if you put them on the email list? And what if you started really satisfying that need for significance, that need for knowledge? And you gave them a lot of information about microbiome. You gave them, gave them huge value through your email saying, look, this is what other things you can do to help this problem. What, this is the supplements you can buy. This is um, other products that will help you do that. And the customer is like, wow, that's, I never knew that. This is interesting. Oh, I can buy this supplement. Wow, I'm learning. This brand is giving me a quick win. Yeah. So I want you to, this is it. Well, my clients is really for what quick wins you can give your client because they're like, wow, I'm not getting any, like anything like that. So these guys really know what they're talking about. They really understand gut health. I trust them. I like them. They give me value. So then what happens next time when they go to the supermarket? Whose brand are they going to choose? Because mm-hmm, they have that relationship. They have that relationship. There's this reciprocity has been built. And then what happens is the next thing is you nurture, you, you nurture your customers, you give them a lot of value. And then you send your email, by the way, why don't you subscribe to my product? And I will deliver it to you on a weekly basis through my membership program. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? Yeah, one. And on top of that, I will give you this training course, digital training course that's going to help you improve your gut health in 90 days. And it costs $190, so a bigger price point, but same problem. But I'm giving you, and you get the subscription at a discount with my kefir. So you see what's happening now. You are not just a product-based business. You are, in fact, an online business. You have a digital product and a course that's solving the same problem. And your physical product is just part of your amazing offer. So you see what's just happened? I'm able to collect from a single customer up to $200 per acquisition. I'm not paying any more, uh, you know, margins to retails. I put them on a continuity screen, on a subscription and membership. And if I just do that, imagine what's going to happen with the profitability of this kind of business. Yeah. So it's looking at, it as a 360 in terms of, you know, what other income streams can you create from this business? And some of my clients are looking at those kind of things in terms of one's a stationary brand. It's all about planning and organizing. So she's doing something with a digital course that's around that in terms of how yeah. to be more organized, you know, um, and potentially will bring up, bring out a subscription box later on in terms of like quarterly uh, 90 day planning type. Um, yes. Product, this is know. a must. This is yeah. a must. This is a future for any brand. If you've got a product, I want you to think about your product as like 10% of your offer. This is the, the companies that are winning in this game. Their product is like 10% of their income stream of their offer. They're solving a holistic problem for the consumer in many different ways, including digital products, because digital product is amazing because it costs you, you know, frankly, no inventory, no working capital issues, yeah. no many things. You just have a set up in terms of the design to start it off, load it up on your computer, but then it's done. Yeah, I mean, let, let's be honest, it takes a lot more than that, of course, but, but logistically, you timing, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to have expertise, you know, yeah. et cetera. You might have done your coaching course or whatever <laughs> it might be that you paid thousands for, but, you know. Yeah, so, but uh, the point is, it's a holistic solution for the c- customer. Yeah. Ultimately, what the, you need to be thinking about, the customer comes in and says, oh my goodness, my problem is solved. I've got my gut health sorted. I'm so much smarter. I'm more educated. I'm taking supplements. I'm taking kefir. I know so much more. And it just, it, it did it in a fraction of time. And I'm super happy with the cost I've paid because there's so much value I got. So if you think about it that way, 
you become you are now moved away from a, being a commodity on the shelf competing with everyone else who's just like you yeah. and lots of new brands entering with building a real customer loyalty because they're not going to go to anyone else your solution is very unique your offer is very unique and they will work with you for years so that that that's I think is a key strategy. That's what I do with my clients. This is just you know if you get that and if you really focus on that, you're gonna have no profitability issues whatsoever. You don't need to worry about working capital. You don't need to worry about anything else because you're making so much money on other income streams in your business that you're sorted. And from investors' perspective, when I go and I start purchasing a company that looks like that, that is amazing because right away there's no brainers membership scheme, continuity scheme. I can see the product fits into the overall model. I can see the Raven fans, people who absolutely adore your brand and will not go away anywhere else because, mm-hmm. you know, they're just loyal to use anything. And if you really master that and really build that through all the channels like Instagram, social media, podcasting to really bring that value, you're going to have this like loyalty, loyal army that, you know, that they just absolutely adore everything that you put out and you're going to be extremely valuable. And so touching on investment then, when a company feels that they are, when a company wants to find an investor, mm. what do they need to make sure they have in place before they even start that, that journey? So it's part of like what you've said in terms of the income streams. Side yeah. There's a couple of things to say. I mean, investors is really trendy. And I see this a lot. People just, you know, you know, they come into space, right? Only if I had an investor, all my problems will be solved. It's very trendy. It's very kind of, um, yeah, people just really jump into that quickly. And there's nothing wrong with that. Certainly, if you have someone who is prepared to give you lots of cash, um, and you're very immature, you know, in your development of your model, that's very unique, but yeah, it's great. But I guess what I would just caution against that in few ways, and we can talk about what you need to get to get that. But when you get venture capital, uh, you know, it doesn't come for free. It gets with yeah. a lot of constraints and they want to manage your business. They're going to put a lot of conditions on you. So um, I think we can talk, I think what's more important is with this model- do you need yeah. it in the first place? Do you need it? Like, yeah. what are you, you know, yeah, lots of people just, you know, there's few issues. They want capital uh, because they think it's trendy, because they think that's what they need to grow. Well, actually, that's not the case. And they start looking for investors. Investors are going to be asking us, well, have you proven your concept? Where are you selling? How much money are you making? They're going to give you a lot of questions they need to be prepared to answer. Um, and they're going to be, you know, they're really going to be drilling. And it's a very lengthy process. It, mm-hmm. Of course, it depends if you just get small investor, friends and family. We're not talking about that we're talking about like more sophisticated venture capitalists uh it's gonna it's gonna detract you from your business so really be ready at the stage so at some stage you're gonna need it right you already making a million five millions in your business you want to take it to a hundred uh to a half a billion you're gonna need investors at that stage mainly because you just need a capability on a different level. You need a board of directors now in your company, which is what venture capital will provide you. You need that level of guidance. So yes, capital, but also a different type of experience and advice. Experience. And, mm. But up to, you know, up to like, you know, 10 million, no, you probably don't. But also if you think about it, with a model that we've just discussed, you don't need funding. You can be extremely self-funded company. If you sort your working capital issues out, that, you know, you're going to need some piece of funding for that. Uh, but if you, you know, if you've got this model working, you'll be very self-funding. And a lot of companies don't, re- the way they manage that way, they don't have bench capital backing. Mm. 
uh, they're very self-funding and they can grow, they scale, they use Facebook ads. So one another thing that we teach, of course, as part of Bossy Hills Club is how do you set up a Facebook ads that really self-pain, at least breaking even or better making you profit through your funnel. So if you understand that, you've set up, you can get new customers, you can advertise practically for free why do you need there's a, you don't need venture capital there's other ways smart ways to get funding to get customers without paying for it and i think you need to exhaust that first yeah um but and then when you're ready and you're really at the stage actually now i just want to you know i want i'm ready to step up my game to a different and build a different kind of company that frankly i don't have the skills for because yeah. this is reality what's happening and then yes um what are you going to use the funding for? Be very clear about that. You know, what are the investors going to look at? They're going to, you know, really they're going to look at four things. You know, where are you in your niche? What's your positioning in that niche? Are you dominating your category? Are you unique? They're going to open your books. They're going to see, you know, your profitability, your margins, your sustainability. And also they're going to see, right, what can you do with the money? How can you grow? They're ultimately looking for return on their investment. So if you think about it from their perspective, they want to see a huge return. Um, so they want to see what's your growth potential, what can be done with their money. And if you demonstrate that story to say, right, this is five things we're going to do with your money. This is how it's going to exponentially grow a company. And this is the type of return you're going to get in, a, in 12 months time. This is a very attractive proposition. This is how you need to be pitching rather than what's thinking the kind of money. percentage? I don't know, it might vary, but what's the kind of percentage that venture capitalists want or what kind of percentage return do they expect on an investment? Yeah, no, this is very difficult to answer because it's just very niche specific. So it depends, are you a food product? Are you a stationary product? Are you a clothing brand? Are you an online marketing brand? Do you sell digital courses? It just varies. Okay. Um, yeah, it's very hard to say. And also, it just depends on the type of appetite. You know, some venture capital are very aggressive. Some are happy to take more long-term game. You know, just the way how they work. Some companies will work with you for the next five to 10 years. And, you know, they're not looking to exit anytime soon. Some will be, you know, they're looking to make a return in 12 months' time. And they want to, you know, they want to sell their share. So, very, very specific. Um, okay. And and then I suppose back to that point when you were saying about those businesses that are turning over um, decent amounts of money, but the the owners are like, right, okay, I can't step away from the business because I'm not making any money. What do you do when you look at that that kind of a business to help them step away? Yeah, well, again, so it depends on the niche. Um, so kind of, of course, my a lot of my clients, a lot of coaching consultants, experts type of business. So it's um, it's really it, it, it really comes down to kind of customized um, structure, customized plan. But really, ultimately, there's few things you're looking at. You're looking for a passive stream of income always. Mm -hmm. So can you genuinely? You know, I love passive passive stream of income. You know, I love it. I think every business should have a lot of that. Uh, meaning that you know every you know no matter what type of the day you're working, you're not working, you're promoting your product or not, you're getting passive stream of income. So really focusing on building that first one to many so that you sell once, you sell it to many membership program, membership schemes. And then also making your product, you know, really comes back to the niche. Um, for example, for a lot of service type customers and, you know, a good example for that to think about this is like people who are, let's say, graphic designers. There's graphic design companies 
who cater for all sorts of clients and all sorts of needs. The client comes to them and they say, I need so-and-so done for my launch campaign. Can you do that? And the company says, yeah, of course, we'll cater it for you. So, and what happens is with any big client, founder has to be in those discussions. So basically have to be involved in all those customized projects that's running at the back of their business. Yes, they can recruit more people, but most likely they're still involved in it. So they're working a lot of their, spending a lot of their time building that business. And let's say there's a different, the same type of industry, graphic designer, but that company said, well, we're just going to do one thing. We're just going to do a logo labels for a startup business in a cosmetic space. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's the only thing they do. And uh, the founder says, you know what? And I have a process how we can develop this, that he writes it out, creates a customized or really proprietary framework, how you can create a label for a cosmetics industry that satisfies the needs. And they create that framework. And then everyone... So imagine, so now same company, but they're now really focused on one thing. And there's two things that happen here. First of all, they become extremely referable, extremely yeah. referable, because I find it difficult to refer that graphic designer. Well, you can, but it's kind of cases for everyone where I meet someone who is in the cosmetics industry and needs a label, label and they have that problem. You say, oh, I know the company who does exactly that. So they become extremely referable. And if they do this smart, they can now start dominating that particular niche and they can become a really number one company that provides a solution for logo labels in cosmetics industry. And then what happens is they have a proprietary framework that they can deliver the same outcome and results without the founder being there. And he can now train their team and staff and even automate it and even create online courses and even create all sorts of things that don't require him. Mm -hmm. So it's really flipping that model from a very customized solution to something that very much actually looks like a product-based business. Yeah. So it's really thinking about that. Okay. And really, yeah, and also can, can the company stand on its own two feet without you being in it is always a good test because no one's going to buy something that doesn't, can't thrive or can't exist without its founder. Yeah, and understanding, well, I suppose, that, that the team is there that can do that, that you have the right team underneath you to, to do it. Yeah, it's the team, but also not being dependent on people. So big risk on any type of acquisition is that the team can just disappear tomorrow and you're going to have no people left. So it's really looking through the process. How well are they trained? Are they replaceable? Yeah. Are they easily replaceable? Can they follow the same steps? Can they follow the same framework? Uh, can I teach this to my grandmother? And yeah. she'll be able to run this business. This is where you got to be thinking about that. So okay. this is really when you get to the stage where you're thinking, this is brilliant, but I want to exit this at some point. It's about thinking through, if I were to train my grandmother to do this business, can this survive? Great. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Elena. Um, and where can people find you? Yes. Um, so the best way, follow us at Bossy Hills Club. 
um, on Instagram, we have a lot of uh, materials there. So if you're a coach, consultant, we have something super exciting coming up. We have a Scale Secret Summit so that will be launching next week where we effectively brought all the world's best experts in one place. So we have people like Stu McLaren, uh, who is number one membership expert in the world, Rachel Miller, who is the people collector, multiple uh, millionaire. We have um, Rhonda Swan, who is a PR agency uh, lead. We have Alex Hermosi, who is worth of 120 million US dollars. So incredible, uh, 20 speakers, world-class, four days, and free registration for 24 hours. And in four days, we give you everything you need to run um, effectively jaw-dropping coaching business. So if there's coaches and consultants that are listening to us or after you've heard this conversation, you're thinking, well, actually, I'm an expert in this and this is my future, or this is the place for you. So follow us on Bossy Hills Club. Uh, registration will open next month and the summit is going to be virtual. So the beauty about this, it it's not live. It's virtual means that you can, when you register, you get access to your personal course area and you'll be able to watch it at the time that works for you. When the kids are in bed, uh, on the weekend so it's super flexible that way and you can also customize your experience you can really pick what's right for you if you're interested in facebook ads or funnel or sales or youtube channel we have that covered so and i think as well for product businesses there'll be parts of that that are definitely relevant with the facebook ads and all of that but also when you're you know you were talking about making your business um you know, looking at the passive income and the the whole 360, you know, the memberships for that would be a great thing for product businesses to help build yeah. their community and then to to run some kind of membership there. But thank you very much, Elena. And it's been lovely chatting to you. And if you have enjoyed the Start Scale Succeed podcast, then I'd love for you to subscribe and leave a review. And we will chat to you again next week. Mm-hmm.